very next day, they go back to talk to them and say, hey, what you told us about the kids in Arizona is a lie. Well, lo and behold, they're gone. They're, they've completely vanished. She had apparently at some point said she thought that she was some kind of a transformed person as if she was a god. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is your host, Francie Hakes. This is Breaking the Case. Guys, Jim is on assignment. Subbing in for him is the ever popular co-host of mine. You guys are always clamoring for me to have on. And he is... Bobby Chacon, retired FBI agent. Bobby, I really appreciate you joining me on this, Breaking the Case. This is a really grim case. I know you've been following it yourself. Yeah, it's just one of those super, super unfortunate cases where it's it's kind of inevitable what we're going to determine and what we're going to find out. We just have, haven't had it confirmed for us yet. No, let's take a quick review of the facts for people. Uh, we've got listeners all over the world, and some of them may be unfamiliar with the facts of the case. We've got missing kids. I was on the news earlier this week talking about it, and it's been all over Twitter, where you've got a little 17-year-old girl named Tylee and her seven-year-old brother named Joshua. They live in Idaho with their mother, Lori Vallow. They have different fathers, but the same mother, Lori Vallow. Apparently, what happened was Lori Vallow's husband was killed by her brother several months ago under some suspicious circumstances. And then her brother died. And after her husband was killed, relatives and grandparents and cousins started worrying about seven-year-old Joshua and whether or not Lori Vallow was taking adequate care of him. She abruptly moved him and his sister, Kylie, to Idaho so that None of the relatives had any more physical contact with Joshua or Tylee. And the last time anyone saw them was in September. So around Thanksgiving, law enforcement was called by relatives and they asked for a welfare check. And they went out to do a welfare check when they met with Lori Vallow and her new husband, Chad Daybell. Now, where did Chad Daybell come from? Well, he had been previously married. And just a few months ago, his wife died at the age of 49 supposedly in her sleep. And it was determined she died of, quote, natural causes. So the two of them both recently lost their spouses and got married around Thanksgiving. So when the police came to find out how Kylie and Joshua were doing, those two children were nowhere to be found. And Lori Vallow would not tell law enforcement where they were. So let's fast forward then, Bobby. Law enforcement leaves after interviewing her and Lori Vallow completely refusing to tell them where her children are, they leave, which is bewildering step number one. And of course, what happens? Lori Vallow and her new husband, Chad Daybell, also flee. And now they've disappeared. So not only do we not know where Tylee and Joshua are, we don't know where Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell are. 
Lori Vallow and her husband are living in Arizona with the with these two children. She be starts becoming obsessed with this guy, this author who you mentioned, Chad Daybell, and he lives in Idaho, and he's an author of these kind of prophecy books, end of days kind of books, and she becomes obsessed with him as an author and his writings, and her husband, Vallow, then files for divorce because he feels she's kind of losing touch with reality. And he feels she's a danger to herself and him and the children. He gets an order of protection where he actually applies for an order of protection against her. And then they go through the divorce proceedings, which never get finalized because during this time period, he's killed by her brother in a shootout. And then the only other contacts the children had with their grand was with their grandparents in Louisiana. Uh, around the time of her husband's death at her brother's hands, she calls the grandparents and tells them that he died, but doesn't tell them how. And then the constant phone calls start slowing down. The grandparents have much, much less communication with the children. And then she, like you said, then she leaves after her husband dies in Arizona and her brother then dies mysteriously. Then she moves to Idaho and she makes contact with, with Daybell, with Chad Daybell, the, the, the author. And lo and behold, his wife dies and within two weeks, I believe, of his wife dying, them two get married. They start living with the children now. And, and no one has, like you said, no one has seen the children since September. So finally, by November, police make a welfare check uh, to them in Idaho, to the, the new couple now in Idaho. And they tell the, the police that the children are visiting relatives in Arizona. So the police obviously go and look into this if they are in fact in Arizona. They quickly determine the children are not in Arizona. And the very next day after they're told this, the very next day they go back to talk to them and say, hey, what you told us about the kids in Arizona is a lie. Well, lo and behold, they're gone. They're, they've completely vanished. And now that's where we stand. We stand with these two children, with a family now, grandparents in in Louisiana, and the, the eldest son, who's an adult, who's living, I believe, I can't recall where he's living, but he's now made an appeal to his mother uh, via YouTube to please, you know, tell them where the two children are. That's Tyler's older brother, which means he's a half-brother to JJ, Joshua. And so you have not only the two children missing, but you have Lori and her new husband now missing, and presumably on the run, because they are people of very strong interest in the disappearance of the children, again, who haven't been seen by anyone since September. Well, let's, let's kind of take this in chronological order, Bobby. The first thing that is distressing to me is that you have a child, he's seven years old, Joshua, they call him JJ. Apparently he was adopted by the Vallows and he has a disability. Reports are he's on the autism spectrum. And that child was in school in Idaho. And I don't understand why, especially a child with a disability, but any seven-year-old suddenly stops coming to school. Why isn't there a report made to the police or to Child Protective Services right then? Yeah, I don't know about the initial stages of when they were last seen. I know that the reports are they were last seen in September. Obviously, many schools start in August and September. And for them, for the welfare check not to have happened until November at the behest of out-of-state relatives, I have the same concern as you do. Where were the public authorities? Where was where was the school system? He he, you know, obviously children of that age are required to either attend public school or be in school of some type. 
I don't know if she was homeschooling him or what they were doing. There may have been some explanation as to that. But the, the child was also, I believe, on some ADHD medication uh, and stuff. And so, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question about, you know, why did it take from September where now we look back and we, we realize that they determined through investigation that no one has seen these children since September. And why is the first welfare check in November? And Bobby, I read one account, uh, and obviously you never know how accurate news accounts are, but I read one account that said there was a school official who confirmed that they hadn't seen Joshua since September. And the account that I read didn't really delve into that anymore, but I'm, I'm very distressed by what I see as, if it's true, uh, a one more failure of the child protective system that is the reason government has rules, the reason kids have to attend school. These officials have the right to, to see that children are being taken care of adequately by their parents. And we have so many cases in this country, Bobby, where child protective services either acts, you know, once and then fails to act again and again, or as it seems here, never got involved in the first place. Well, you know, what could be happening is here, it's all about timing. I would have to literally put this up on a whiteboard and timeline it because they're living in Arizona. The kids were, uh, you know, presumably in school in Arizona. And then at some point in the fall, they may have moved to Idaho. So you may have the fact that maybe she, you know, maybe the school in Idaho didn't even realize that the person, you know, they were supposed to re-register to the public school in Idaho. And she told the school in Arizona that they had moved or whatever the case may be. There may be an explanation on why the school, it just may have fallen to the cracks where, you know, they, they moved from Arizona and she moves them to Idaho and they just, she just fails to register them in school in Idaho and they don't even know to look for the kid because they don't know the kid exists because they've moved out of Arizona. Maybe the Arizona school officials think that, you know, she moved to Idaho with the kids and registered them in Idaho. Or, you know, we don't know what the story she told to the school, school district is. She may have said the kids were sick, she was their home or whatever, or simply that they moved. And when they moved to Idaho, Maybe the the school there didn't know that they existed because she never registered them. Now, it's quite possible that the children never made it to Idaho in that move. There was nobody in Idaho that had seen them. They weren't seen until the last time they were seen in last September. From my reading of the reports, she was still living in, in Arizona at that point. And so, you know, it, it, the mysteries are many in this case. Well, that's a good point, Bobby. And one of the weirdest mysteries, I think, has to do with this whole cult influence or the prepper doomsday influence, whatever you want to call it. And as you said earlier, we know from uh, her husband, Vallo, when he filed for divorce or separation or protection orders, that he mentioned the fact that she had become obsessed with Chad Daybell and his writings. And I read an account where she had apparently at some point said she thought that she was some kind of a transformed person as if she was a god. And at that point, I think her husband or soon-to-be ex-husband started to really worry about the safety of their adopted child, JJ. And it was at that point that he was conveniently shot by Lori Vallow's brother. Yeah. And she actually, in his in his application for the protection order, and even in his divorce proceedings, he alleges that she claimed that she was this person who was anointed to help these 144,000 Christians at the second coming of Christ. And that, you know, she had this mission, you know, obviously dictated by God. 
and that if he stood in her way, she would kill him, and that she had an angel standing by to help her get rid of the body. This is an allegation he made in some of his court filings. So there was clearly something going on with her, her mental state. If, if in fact, these allegations in his court filings are true, there were, there were things going on in her, her mental state uh, that seemed to be deteriorating, and she seemed to be, at least according to him, somewhat delusional. Well, I mean, I think it turns out, Bobby, that he ends up being uh, sadly right in that he did die. He did die violently, and he died at someone else's hands, and that was her brother, who apparently to police claimed that Vallow had come at him with a baseball bat, and he had shot Vallow in self-defense. And then the brother mysteriously died. What is happening with this family? Yeah, the grandparents in Louisiana feel that they set the husband up, that the, the story with the baseball bat was concocted as a self-defense for the brother and that he was, in fact, murdered. Then the brother mysteriously dies and, you know, this case couldn't get any stranger. And that, But it did because then she hooks up with Chad Daybell and his wife conveniently died at the age of 49 in her sleep. And Bobby, authorities have now ordered her body exhumed. What is what is that about? Well, I think she died, and and if I'm not mistaken, two weeks later they get married. Yeah, I mean the ti- I mean obviously the timing as a prosecutor, the timing there is a glaring red blazing light that says to me that this was obviously not an accident. And I don't understand how anyone said unless there's a pre-existing medical condition. A 49-year-old woman dying in her sleep dies from natural causes. Yeah, that's a very puzzling thing by a medical examiner to do. To not classify that as a suspicious death is, is beyond me, unless you have proof positive that there was some kind of coronary incident or some other incident that that is clearly indicated by lab work. But if not, you, that's just not a natural causes death. Well, no, and Bobby, you've done, you've been, you're an expert in forensics. You've done that for the FBI. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of evidence they may be able to obtain once they've exhumed her body? I mean, it's been in the ground for, I don't know, weeks now, but not months. So it's not been terribly long. Right. Well, I mean, the first thing you try to do is you try to get toxicology. Now, um, obviously, the longer time this goes on, the harder it is, but it depends on what was used. If, if in fact, some drugs were used, it depends on what drugs and if they made it to their way to tissue. And actually, in a case like that, it actually may help that the person was deceased because at, de- at death, you know, the tissue degradation st- starts, but it starts in a different way. So in, in other words, w- when you're alive, your body metabolizes things that are in it, including poisons. If it doesn't kill you, your body's metabolizing that. So eventually it could disappear from your body. Now, if, you know, you could still, depending on what was used, again, in the tissue, the, the, the degradation of the tissue, you could find in a toxicology report, something that you didn't find if you didn't look for it initially at the autopsy. So it all depends on, see, an autopsy on a natural causes determination is different than an autopsy, say, on a homicide or a suspected homicide. So you you do a lot less extensive things when you go in under the premise that it's a natural causes death. And so hopefully they will do things like look for hidden trauma to the body or look for toxicology things that they didn't look for initially. So, so you know, those things are, are what we're going to hope that they look for. I expect we'll get results on that within the next few weeks, I would think. In the meantime...
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Y'all, everyone knows true crime is my passion, but even I need the occasional break. So when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, my go-to refresher is Best Fiends. Best Fiends has a story. It engages my brain. It's fun to play with bright colors and adorable characters. Now, while Best Fiends has challenging puzzles, it's a casual game anyone can play. So it's made for adults and you can spend as much or as little time as you'd like in the game. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. You don't even have to have the internet to play. It's great for traveling. You can play it anywhere, on a plane, on the subway, on a bus, wherever you are that you need a palate cleanser. You can play Best Fiends. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Let's talk a little bit about manhunting, Bobby. I mean, we know what it looks like on TV. You know, people in the movies and in TV seem to be able to disappear and just sort of live off the grid and stay away from authorities for a long time. But it, it's really not that easy. You know, it, it's not. You're right. If you're not, if you haven't planned for it, if you've planned for it, then it makes it much easier. Obviously, you can stash cash away in different places. You can have different identities that you can operate on. You can have a different credit history. You can have credit cards with different names. So it all depends on the length that you're willing to go through to plan something like this. So so that's really a determinative factor. We don't know if this was a spontaneous. It doesn't seem like it was a very spontaneous thing. It looks like at least there was some planning with respect to all of this. Now it's a matter of determining how much they had to plan and, and what they could have done to do that. Now, these are people that have a little bit of instability in their, in their psychological behavior, so particularly her, so it's conceivable that they can't stay hidden for that long if, in fact, she's a true believer in these end-of-days scenarios where she's going to help people at the second coming of Christ. You know, there's going to be some trail of that. He, had a, he was a very prolific author online with a lot of these very niche um, end-of-days genre books. That's probably a place they're looking at pretty heavily, the chat rooms and things like that in that online community because it's a very niche community, but also a very, what would you say, a very active community where they get on and they they exchange ideas and they exchange opinions among each other uh, a lot, uh, basically to reinforce their delusions. And so that would be a place that they could likely start to look for them. Well, and speaking of looking for them, Bobby, I mean, the FBI, which we, we know must be involved because you've got missing children and the FBI has jurisdiction when you're talking about children that are suspected of having been kidnapped or, or secreted away, spirited away somewhere. So I think that what I want to talk to our listeners about is your experience in investigations, because what the FBI must be doing right now is pulling the full force of their investigative capabilities, tactics, and techniques in order to try to find these people. And that would include things like cell phones and cars and 
uh, electronic communications. Can you talk about that a little bit, Bobby? What would you be doing if you're hunting for Lori Vallow and her children? Well, the, I'm, I'm really hunting for her and, 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 and Chad Daybell, not, not necessarily the children. If I find them, then I find the children because the children obviously aren't going to leave an electronic fo- footprint. But, you know, obviously you look at any names she used or could have used. Um, if they've got aliases, you talk to um, different people they were associated with their bank accounts, when they were emptied, how they were emptied, if they were emptied. Um, I would have people manning and actually infiltrating the chat rooms of these groups that they were affiliated with online um, to see if there are any new members and any new members around this time and with new names could be them with aliases still interacting with these online communities if in fact their delusions are you know legitimate delusions and, and they're not just cooked up to have a, as a cover story so i would i would be in those chat rooms i would be looking at anybody any newcomers that have come up recently because that could be them using different names i would be looking at all of their different bank accounts and when they were closed and how they were closed and where they spent their money in the last couple of months what did they buy did they you know if people buy if they go if you're going to move you know i'm sure that when you move from say arizona to idaho you buy certain things you buy certain types of clothing you buy certain types of supplies or different things and so if they move from idaho and their plan was to run to mexico they might have bought different things you know leading up to that departure and so you look at their spending habits and what they were purchasing and different things like that and then each one of those things you may find leads you to something else and so, yeah, you scour all of their activities. If, in fact, this was planned, there was some planning. And even if they are operating now under new names, they had to take steps in their old names to make that happen. And so you look at the picture of their activity online, online banking. You look at their social media. You look at all of those things in their old names. And, and you know, obviously, the easy part is, you know, and I, I should say it, even though I sometimes just gloss over it is that on you know with their current names you have all kinds of lookout notices on those names and so you have tripwires set up online to see if those names appear anywhere else if they apply for a driver's license in a different state or even in a different country that you 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 can enlist interpol and you can start asking for lookouts to be placed on those names now obviously you do that but you do that as a long shot, because you think if they're going to do something like this, they likely have new identities and change their names. That makes it more difficult, not impossible. And and then you take steps, like I mentioned earlier, about looking for what new names they might have come up with and what they might have done in the days and weeks and even months, part perhaps, in the lead up to their disappearance. Because I would go on the presumption that they've disappeared under new names now. They've gone somewhere under new names and it's just the two of them. I would be very surprised if the children are with them. Well, so let's get back to that that aspect, Bobby, the children. I, I said earlier this week on the news channel, I appeared on that I feared very much for the children because uh, I think they would have surfaced. Someone, some family member, some friend, you're not talking about infants or toddlers who could have been you know, passed off and, and someone might not have even known who they were or found and it'd be impossible to know or to trace them to whomever dropped them off somewhere. You're talking about a seven-year-old and more importantly, a 17-year-old who probably had her own friends. She may have had her own social media accounts, her own electronic signature, even if her brother did not. And all of those things can also be tapped to see what was happening in this 17-year-old's life right before, you know, what was really the last time that anyone had contact 
with her. I think that, that she is maybe the key to finding her own self and the brother because as 17, she's much more likely to have her own life separate from her mother, don't you think? I think it's possible. I think that that will, that trail will run cold very quickly because if something happened and they harmed those children and they disposed of them somewhere, that's where the trail will end. And so if you're looking for them and where the adults are, I think unfortunately right now, in my opinion, it's highly possible that the children are in one place and those adults are in quite another place. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I think there really is only one explanation for why Lori Vallow lied to the police about where the children were and then ran once she was confronted. And sadly, I think it means that she has disposed of those children. And let's talk about that for just a minute, Bobby. We've seen before, historically, in the last 20 or 30 years, this phenomenon, I, I don't know what Jim Clemente would call it, but I'll find out, I'm sure, this phenomenon of women discarding their children when they want to either make a new life or a new life specifically with a new boyfriend or husband. And I can think of two cases, and that's one was Susan Smith, who sent her two children to a terrible drowning death in a lake as she was getting a new wife and a new boyfriend and her children were inconvenient to her. And then Casey Anthony, who was not convicted, but who was prosecuted for killing her daughter, Kaylee, the theory being that her new boyfriend had said he didn't want children and that something that simple that he said innocently caused her to discard her daughter, Kaylee. And so I fear for the children because of that. Yeah, I mean, that's not a new phenomenon. That That's something that's unfortunately all too common. You cite two of the more high-profile cases, and Susan Smith was decades ago. And and so, you know, it's been going on. This type, this is not a new phenomenon. I, I wouldn't even call it a phenomenon anymore. It's, it's, a, it's all too often a routine. And I, I work cases. I remember a case in Toledo, Ohio, where I stood on the dock uh, in a river and had a mother, uh, you know, described to me where she threw her 18-month-old a baby, and it was because the, the the her new boyfriend, not the baby's father, had beaten the baby so bad the baby was about to die, and she didn't want her new boyfriend to go back to jail, and so she threw her eighteen month old badly beaten child into a river, and my dive team and I had to go and and find the baby, and and, and so and that's not a case that got any kind of publicity or anything like that. I'm sure, and you know, of course, in Toledo it did, but it didn't get the nationwide publicity of the two cases you just mentioned. But it was a similar thing. She, the boyfriend, you know, didn't want the kid, and 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 he beat the kid, and then she didn't want the boyfriend going to jail, so she she threw the kid in the river, or she claimed to throw the kid in the river. Actually, I believe the kid was found later on. We didn't find the child. We searched and searched and searched, and I believe the the child was later found um, somewhere else. But 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 the point is that this was a mother who who killed her own child because the new man in her life didn't want the child, and and. So it, it is a uh, it is a thing that happens that we've seen that I've seen you know obviously you see it once it's once too many but it wouldn't it doesn't surprise me anymore it shocks me but it doesn't surprise me if that makes sense and unfortunately in this situation you start thinking about what possible motive if those children are still alive and they're with their mother what possible motive could she have had to lie to the police about them being in Arizona and to disappear 
when other family members are so concerned about the children. There is no plausible motive, even a delusional motive that I can think of on why she would do that. It's, it's certainly more likely that these two individuals took steps to shed themselves of the things in their lives that were keeping them from being together in whatever delusional relationship they were going to have. And he, his wife dying mysteriously, and two weeks later, him marrying Lori Vallow and her husband being mysteriously killed during a divorce proceeding, and then her two children disappearing. These are all steps that that could be interpreted as them taking steps to shed themselves of the things in their individual lives that prevented them from being together in the way they wanted to be together. Well, I, I do think, Bobby, that if those children were alive, certainly if they were with Lori Vallow, it would be a lot harder for her and her new husband, Chad Daybell, to keep themselves secreted from law enforcement or from anyone seeing them. Uh, you know, four is much harder to hide than two. Sure. And children are much harder to hide than adults. And, and children that may be there involuntarily would be even like a 17 year old would be even harder. So, yeah, all of those things mount up to. And then then my old thing is why, the why of it. You know, why would you keep them against their will? Why would you not tell the police, you know, to get the police off your tail or off your, to get the pressure off, why not just produce the children and then move away and do whatever you're going to do? The fact is they lied to the police in November when the police showed up for a welfare check. And when the police determined very quickly that what they told them about the children's whereabouts was a lie and they went back to talk to them, they were gone. And, and that, that tells me a lot. Well, unfortunately, me too, Bobby. We're going to keep following this case. I appreciate your expertise and your input on this episode of Breaking the Case. We're going to continue following this. We're going to continue following the Heidi Broussard case so that we can continue here at Best Case, Worst Case to take our listeners behind police lines and give them a little bit more in-depth insight into what's going on in these investigations that are making headlines. So thanks, Bobby. And for now, thanks for listening to Best Case, Worst Case. Until next time. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's d2l.org. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? 
Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.